0: This episode of A Deeper Dive is brought to you by Crunchtime. We don't have to tell you how costly it is to overstaff or understaff your restaurant. Crunchtime's new Teamworks labor management solution automatically optimizes your schedules and ensures your managers have the right people in place at the right time for every shift. With Crunchtime, staffing nightmares and labor law violations are a thing of the past. Since 1995, Crunchtime has saved its customers millions of dollars every year on food and labor costs, usually lowering expenses between 2 and 5% of sales annually. Isn't it time you started saving too? Visit crunchtime.com today to request a free demo and put your restaurant on a path towards optimized team management.
1: Buffalo Wild Wings wants to take its game to the next level, one year after its sale to Arby's. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I talk with Lyle Tick, who was named president of Inspire Brands-owned Buffalo Wild Wings late last year. Lyle has an interesting background, having been managing director for Walgreens Boots Alliance Beauty Brands before joining the chicken wing chain. He had previously worked for Bacardi and held various positions in marketing and advertising companies. He takes over a chain that is in need of something of a brand refreshment. Buffalo Wild Wings has struggled the past couple of years as consumers shifted more dining to takeout and chicken wing prices spiked and then fell, leaving the chain for a loop. Lyle talks about his vision for fixing the company. And he talks about how Buffalo Wild Wings fits in a multi-branded company that has brands, which also owns Sonic and Rusty Taco in addition to Arby's, and it is looking for more. And later, I talk about a few surprises about the Technomic Top 500. But first, here's Lyle Tick.
2: Lyle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you
3: very much, Jonathan. Happy to be here.
2: So, uh, tell us what's happening uh, over at Buffalo Wild Wings in the uh, few months you've been on the job.
3: Oh wow, um, yeah. So I started at the at the end of September, uh, and it uh, it has been uh, a whirlwind run. You know, I think we've been. The big things we've been doing is standing up a team. So, um, you know, I got kind of my co-captains on the field with me now. I got Seth Freeman, who came in as my CMO. He came in from uh, Coca-Cola formerly, as well as IHG. Um, My chief operating officer, John Bowie, was at Arby's before uh, this, and before that at Church's Chicken. And those are probably my two lead co-conspirators. And they've been. They've been filling out their team, so obviously that's that's kind of a big first step is getting the crew together. Um, Secondarily, we've been doing a lot of work on the the positioning of the brand, just making sure we were really clear on kind of, you know, who we were talking to, uh, getting back to real clarity on on the brand kind of essence and purpose, um, and making sure that that was at the center of everything that we were doing, and then... Uh, you know, laying all the groundwork for um, what's going to be starting in March and then continuing beyond that in terms of uh, really reintroducing folks to uh, to Buffalo Wild Wings. So, you know, going through agency pitches, hiring agencies, uh, getting a new campaign stood up, working on food and beverage innovation, really looking end-to-end at um, at how we're going to get back to that essence of the brand.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, you have uh... – you you have a uh back you didn't actually come uh, at least immediately from the uh restaurant industry. Tell us a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah, it's uh it's it's kind of an I guess an interesting journey I took. You know, I I spent many years of my career uh in the advertising industry um where I was leading global businesses and or building agencies and of course in that world you you work across categories, right? So mm-hmm. um, I probably spent a lot of the first bits of my career in technology, but, you know, over the course of my career, you know, I've worked in beer, I worked in spirits, I worked uh, for a long time in sports running the Reebok account globally uh, when they were the official outfitter of the NFL, and NHL, and NBA. Uh, I worked with Denny's uh, very, very closely uh, leading their account when we repositioned Denny's to be America's diner. Um, I then went uh, and took a leap with my family and we moved, I, uh, from New York, was based in New York, we moved to London and we took mm-hmm. the, the job in London of, uh, with Bacardi, where I was running the global vodka category for Bacardi, which included a number of brands, probably the one you're most familiar with is Grey Goose. Uh, from there went to uh, Miami to lead North American marketing. Um, and then spent the past number of years uh, in a GM role actually running the beauty business for uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance in the Americas. So, um, touched a lot of different categories before coming here. Uh, mm-hmm. it, interestingly, when I reflected, I guess, on my career about the times when I had the most fun and I think probably was the most effective, was probably the time. That I spent on Reebok, the time with Denny's, and certainly my time at Bacardi. And, you know, upon reflection, you know, it's because there are things that I'm personally passionate about and can get behind and, and have perspective on. And of course, Buffalo Wild Wings uh, kind of brings all of those things together food, drink, and sport uh, uh, together in one package. So uh, when Paul uh, and I talked about uh, me coming over to take this job, for various reasons uh beyond that um but uh but that was super exciting to me
2: mm-hmm. yeah you know, that's uh so that's interesting I think one of the issues one of one of uh one of my things right now is I tend to think that the restaurant industry may be a little bit too insular in terms of its uh, executive hiring mm. and and that um and that it tends to like there's a segment that believes well, you have to be a restaurant person to to get, uh, you know, to, to, to lead a brand. And, and I think that's been proven that that's not, that's completely not necessary. Right. So, um, and in fact, inspire brands, you know, Paul Brown was a hotel person for years and yeah. before he went to Arby's and, and then, uh, you know, and then Arby's has thrived under his watch So, I mean, that's uh proof positive that, um, you can come in with a, a, a kind of come into the industry, sort of with a fresh set of eyes.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, I guess, um, I mean, I think I think there's a couple of things. One, I think, um, you know, one of the things that Paul and I connected on, I think, is there's philosophies around consumers' brands and brand building, which mm-hmm. I think uh, tend to be, um, you know, somewhat universal, and there's different philosophies about it. But I think that one of the things that I believe, and I think one of the things that was part of RV's success, is that oftentimes when an iconic brand um you know, hits a bit of a rough patch, it's often not because there was anything wrong with the essence of the brand. It's because the brand over time either got off essence or stopped mm-hmm. delivering their essence in, in a relevant way. Um, and I think that's the journey we've been on with Buffalo Wild Wings. I think the other mm-hmm. bit of it is is this. Look, if, if I come into this industry, um, and for me, it's all possibility, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't come in with any beliefs about what has to be true or what doesn't have to be true. You know, I come in with a very um, kind of pure view with my team about where we want to take this brand. Um, and I have a lot of people around me that have a, great, a lot of experience in the restaurant business. So there's, there's a great balance there, right? Because I can challenge established thinking and kind of live in a world of possibility, which I think is important, um, from the seat I sit in. And then, you know, I have a lot of other people who will work to balance that out and make sure along the journey, you know, we're informed by the things um, uh, that need to be true and make sure we avoid stepping in, in obvious holes and, and have that balance of learning from the past in the industry but challenging what might be conventional thinking as we go on a journey. Mm-hmm.
2: So so Buffalo Wild Wings had uh seems to have had a, a fairly challenging uh period of late. I think last year wasn't too easy on the company. How where do you see this as sort of a brand challenge at this particular point and, and how do you see um where do you see taking the brand at this uh right now? Yeah,
3: look, I, I think um I do think it goes back to what we were talking about a second ago. I, I think mm-hmm. Buffalo Wild Wings um veered from its essence, if you will. Um, I think Buffalo Wild Wings, when it was at its best um, and when it will be at its best again, is when it's staying on essence and really clear on where it fits in the world. And I think that is um, going back to kind of that core of being a, a great American sports bar um, and getting back to the core of our purpose, which is to inspire legendary experiences between friends Um, And really think about how we deliver on camaraderie, how we build ritual, and how we bring kind of that game on energy to the experiences we deliver. And I think Mm -hmm. that um, over the past few years, the brand may have veered a little bit closer uh, to the casual dining sector. Um, And I think in a world where people are getting hit with tens of thousands of brand messages a day, you've got to be really clear on who you are and where you fit in the world if you want to have a gravitational pull. And so for us, um, it's about getting back to that core. So I do think the brand veered or strayed a little bit. I think what I see from consumers generally is, is people who like Buffalo Wild Wings and want a reason to love us again. Um, and that's what we're, we're hopefully going to be delivering over the next, you know, several months and years ahead.
2: What kind of uh, strategies do you envision uh, uh,
3: can accomplish that? Well, you know, we're looking end to end when we when we look at this this reinvention again. You know, we started with that real articulation of the purpose and the essence. Uh, then we ask ourselves, what does that mean? You know, across the board, and and that'll be everything uh, from looking at the food and the product we put in front of people. And you'll start to see um, in March, uh, you'll see a new fresh burger that we're going to be putting on the menu. You'll see new queso, salsa, and nachos. You know, over the course of the rest of the year, we're looking um, at everything from evolving our kind of uh, chicken platforms outside of the wings, uh, looking at hand-breaded platforms, and we're even looking at core innovation on our core products, you know, the boneless and bone-in wings. So looking across the board at at the food product to to look at um, getting a little more focused right? I think we can do less stuff, make it more craveable, and make it better for the consumer uh, to get clearer. Um, looking at a drinks program in a really similar way, I think from the beer side of the world, um, trying to balance maybe a little bit better the regional and local with the national. Uh, you'll see in March on the cocktail list, we're going to get, again, a bit more curated. We're going to start introducing uh, some classic cocktails. you know, Back into the mix, you'll see an old-fashioned come back into play. Uh, at Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, getting back to that core. And we're spending a lot of time and resources, frankly, on um, on the service culture. So mm-hmm. uh, we're rolling out a program we're calling BrandChamp, which is um, – I hesitate to call it training um, because uh, we have training programs that are about building knowledge. This is more about a cultural program – with the goal of helping people really understand and give them the tools and inspiration to deliver on that idea of inspiring legendary experiences between friends every day, and understand their role in it. And I think those are the three big foundations. Underneath that, we're then looking um, at a lot of experiential stuff. So the way people have engaged with content in sports has changed over time. So you may have seen some of the things we've done with um, with DraftKings uh where we uh during the the football season we had a a daily fantasy game you could only play in the restaurant you'll see in march madness uh another game that we 'll be putting out there um we've been looking at you know more terrestrial experiential things in the restaurant as well so uh during the end of the football season we were we tested a program called the two minute drill, which was uh you know at the end of the first half and the and the and the game when kind of the energy picks up in the game we'll start introducing some fun specials whether drinks or food into the mix and pick the energy up in the restaurant and that's just indicative of i think getting back to that that core being a sports bar you know when the local team scores a touchdown what are we going to do if the local team wins what are we going to do so um, just getting some of that energy and engagement and we'll look at that both from a technological point of view as well as as well as a terrestrial point of view, um, mm-hmm. and then above it all will be the new comms. And, and in March you'll see our new marketing campaign. And I think that's just kind of the gas on the fire, right? Is uh, is telling the story in a more compelling way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's. So, uh, that let's
2: makes... Yeah, no, that makes sense. Let's. Uh, I think let's let's take a uh, let's start a little bit with the menu. Are you? When you say that it's going to be more focused, I mean you're talking about like maybe shrinking the menu and 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 kind of focusing it on on uh, sports bar type food. Is that what we're talking about here?
3: Yeah, uh, over time, I think um, mm-hmm. you know you don't uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. But yeah, I mean over the the course of the next you know 18 months, two years, I would see our menu getting a little more curated, getting a little more focused. I think. We have an opportunity really driving some of our our shareables or kind of bar food harder. Um, And then looking where we play outside of that to make sure that what we're delivering is, frankly, craveable and talkable. Uh, One of the things we talk a lot about here um, is that we want to help turn game time into stories worth telling. Mm -hmm. And that stories worth telling can be anything from uh, the big game and the experience you had around there, to how we help facilitate someone's birthday party or, or, or after-work party. But I also want our food to become something that people want to tell their friends about, talk about, and come back to. And I'm not sure that outside of our core wing platform we do that as much as I'd like to do that right now. Yeah, yeah. What about uh,
2: – but you're, you're not planning really to shift much away from chicken wings. I mean, that's still a pretty big focus.
3: We are Buffalo Wild Wings. The uh, mm-hmm. the traditional wing and our boneless wing will always be a core of what we're doing. We are looking at how we continue to improve, evolve, and innovate mm-hmm. around both the product itself as well as the sauce platform, and we think there's a lot more room for us there, um, but um, but that will always be a core foundation. Yeah.
2: I, I think from, from a certain standpoint, chicken wings um, – has to be one of the more challenging uh mm-hmm. products in the restaurant business simply because uh as i'm sure you know um you know chicken wings have is very cyclical uh through the year where the from a commodity standpoint where um you know the cost is kind of like moderating right now and we'll moderate until the fall and then we'll start spiking because demand goes up and then we'll hit peak at about the super bowl and then fall again and But then every so often something happens to like completely screw up the market, and then chicken wing prices skyrocket for one year, and then just fall precipitously the next year. I've watched this now for about ten years, and it is the most fascinating commodity on the planet from that standpoint. And it always kind of surprises me that restaurant that that chicken wing chains still haven't really figured out a way how to deal with this or to combat uh, at least. Tolerate that one year of commodity price spikes. How do you plan on dealing with that particular issue,
3: or do you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Look, I mean, it is um, it's it's undoubtedly a real issue, right? And mm-hmm. and it's something we talk about a lot here. Um, and and I think dealing with it, um, you know, has kind of has a range of things that you need to think about. I mean, obviously, there's kind of the upstream range of supply chain and supplier negotiations and how you look at, you know, short term and and, and, and longer term discussions and, you know, all of those things are, are in play and we discuss that. I think the other reality is that if you take that kind of 10 or 15 year view on it, what you end up seeing is, you know, a relatively consistent through line of low single digit percentage rise over time. With a lot of kind of ups and downs underneath it, right? Um, which means, right? You can, if we go back to the negotiation strategy, you could say, "I'm going to try and look at how I can create, you know, some fixed pricing and, and, and win and lose along the way, but, but get consistency in how I manage my P and L. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or I'm gonna live through it, knowing it's going to go up and down. Um, I think the key on the on the um, on the kind of the front end side of it is knowing that not to get too reactionary to it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, One of the things we talk about a lot is, um, you know, I'm not going to suddenly change my plan if wing prices uh, go up, right? You know, because I know there's a cycle to it. I think the question I have to ask myself is where else in my business – uh, can I look at the levers that I have available to pull so that I'm not being overly reactionary to that? Um, because that's, that's, that's when the consumer starts feeling it, and that's when you can you know, make mistakes, short-term mistakes, that have impact on long-term brand equity. And I think yeah. the, the balance we have as business owners and marketeers is to balance short-term delivery and long-term brand equity. Yeah,
2: I, I, that's where I think where I think brands have, have 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 wing brands have really run into problems where they have that um, you know, they they get they they react they overreact to what is always clearly a a short-term price spikes. I mean, we we've seen enough of this now to know that these price spikes are just short-term, and and the next year things are going to look fabulous, and 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 you can end up. Uh, you're doing something that really alienates customers, and I, I think going back a couple of years, to Buffalo Wild Wings—that's what they clearly did. Um, seemed to uh, they, they overcorrected to to what was a, a temporary price spike, and and, and probably kind of alienated some customers at the, at, in the process.
3: I think you're right. I think particularly around the uh, the Wing Tuesday platform, mm-hmm. which was an iconic platform for yeah. for the company, and. And, you know, without foreshadowing too too much, it's something that that we're very much talking about right now, because I do think that was – I think the traditional Wing Tuesday was an iconic platform universally for Buffalo Wild Wings, which did um, become confused based on what, you know, in hindsight uh, could have been um, reactionary. Um, But I wasn't there at the time, and I don't (laughs) – sure the mm-hmm. decisions that were made at the time were informed by right. the information they had.
2: Right right I, I, it's one of, I think it was one of the challenges that they face as a publicly traded company where where you have these investors and they look at prices and they they freak out there's this like it just it's just, i i've seen this long enough now to know that there's there's like sort of among investors they there can be this collective freak out about wing prices when they spike like that uh, but usually these things are only temporary. It's just it's it's fascinating to me. Let's let's get back. Let's actually get back to something a little bit more positive. Let's go back yeah. one month to the NFC and AFC championship games. That had to be fantastic for you guys <laughs> because both games went into overtime, and it reminded customers of the the old ad campaign, which was I thought was brilliant, where where you would have this, uh, where Buffalo, the bartender at the Buffalo Wildlings would press a button, and then the rest, something would happen to keep a game into overtime to keep people at Buffalo Wildlings.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, it was awesome. I mean, the, you know, you, you I couldn't have asked for something better than both of those games going into overtime, and, uh, and you know, the social buzz about it was great. People were actually pulling down old ads and re-editing mm-hmm. them and reposting them and them, and, and I have to give... Uh, credit to our social team um, who, you know, is also a relatively new team here, came in just before I got here. uh, And Micah and that team have done a a really great job, I think, about finding their voice and and taking advantage of those cultural moments. But that was great and obviously provided us the opportunity to do our Super Bowl overtime uh, platform. Uh, And, look, business results were great for us. The Super Bowl – uh, the playoffs were good. Super Bowl was great. I think we were up five uh, to six percent year on year. It was the second highest sales day for us in Buffalo Wild Wings history, the highest online sales day for us in our history. So, um, you know, the 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 playoffs and that uh, confluence of of overtimes um, was certainly something uh, uh, I was happy with, and, and we saw it flow through in the business. So that's great.
2: Mm-hmm. let's let's talk a little bit about that online stuff i think buffalo wildlings has a very unique position uh because it has this as you mentioned this experiential nature which consumers still like to have an experience at the restaurant but you also have a a traditionally very strong takeout to go and and delivery business um i i assume and 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 i know that you're 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 the uh new image that you guys are talking about sort of tries to accentuate both of those things. Is that um, something you plan to continue to focus on?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it's, it's a significant part of our business. It is um, undoubtedly, you know, you see consumer behavior uh, growing there. Uh, we have our takeout continues to grow organically. Our delivery continues to grow organically. So um, absolutely, there's a lot of discussions obviously around Delivery, as everyone else is having around um, how we look at that for the future uh, to scale it in a profitable way. Um, and, and we're kind of testing and learning our way into that from a, uh, from a takeout point of view, um, frankly, as well as delivery. We're looking a lot at, at our web platform right now. Um, so right now we have a, a different platform for loyalty as well as, uh, as, well as ordering and .com. Uh, We'll be collapsing those platforms into one. We're looking to create a much more seamless um, um, engagement opportunity for our consumers. Uh, Because one of the things I would like to do um, over time is also start to migrate people uh, more towards online ordering. Um, I think it's good for the business. I think it's good for consumers. Certainly it helps with labor in the store as in the actual store. I want the folks in there spending a lot of time on that great service and experience for the people in the store. And I want the, uh, the, the off-premise business to be really seamless and easy for the customers, which is, which is part of what you see in, in, in what we did. Um, with the uh, with the new model that we're uh, that we're beta testing, I think four of those right now, so mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly an area that we're going to focus on that will continue to grow. We're also looking at everything from from packaging um, all the way through because I want to make sure that if we're going to be you know in that business that when you uh, take out or get delivery of our product and you know that's part of our experience, that it comes through the way we want it to. And I think there's opportunity for us to improve there.
2: Mm-hmm. When you say you're t- talking about delivery and doing so profitably, what kind of options do you see uh, for, for that for you guys?
3: You know, uh, I, don't, uh, you know I, I don't have the, the crystal ball on that. You know, we are mm-hmm. right now talking about what that looks like, both from a Buffalo Wild Wings point of view, but also, frankly, from an Inspire point of view. Um, You know, it's one of the areas where, as we look at Inspire um, uh, and the benefit that Inspire brings to the brands in the portfolio, it's one of those areas where potentially um, our scale and diversity can help us get to a solution that will be beneficial for for all the individual brands in the portfolio, Um, whether that be through a traditional third party or not, and I think we're we're testing and learning and kind of having all of the discussions right now about what that future looks like.
2: Yeah. And delivery is such a such a conundrum. Do you think do you see like maybe Inspire doing something where since they're um you know, we're we're talking about uh, you know, three four four brands at this point and and clearly the plan is to get more. I mean, do you see down the line maybe sort of an all encompassing uh app for inspire brands or something like that where customers can choose you know from a d- bunch of different options maybe you're not the person to ask that but do you think that is a potential option down the line there
3: look i mean i, I, I the short answer is only time will tell but but mm-hmm. i think the more important answer underneath that is is from an inspire point of view keeping the individual integrity of all of the individual brands is of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the strategy of Inspire is not to blur the lines of, of the brands. It's to be an engine that helps the individual brands express yeah. themselves more effectively as individual brands and drive their business in a more effective and efficient way. So um, what I would say is anything that we would consider um, what would be very much in the front of our minds is making sure that the integrity and uniqueness of the individual brands is maintained because that's the core Mm -hmm. of what we're trying to do.
2: So how is the beta testing on the prototype going? Uh, um, that's That's a fascinating prototype to
3: me. Yeah, I mean it's 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 early days, uh, you know. I, so I, you know, I don't want to to call the ball on it, but I would say um, it's it's what I like to call green shoots, right? So mm-hmm. so um, we we put them out there. We didn't actually do any marketing around them like we usually do with our new restaurants because you know we kind of wanted to feel our way into them and you know get in there ourselves and with the franchisees and look at the restaurants and understand where we thought there was opportunity for improvement. Um, but ultimately, look, I mean, we're seeing uh, average weekly sales improvements. We're seeing one of the big things that we were looking at was uh how the bar worked and the bar mix. Um, we have much more liquor display than we had in the past um, and uh, and we're seeing the bar mix both from a beer and spirits point of view move in the direction that that we wanted it to move in. Uh, you'll notice there's a couple of fun spaces, so You know, unlike the current design, which I think is very universal, the whole thing is very universally similar, you know, we have an area called the MVP room. Um, We have an area called the dugout or the bleachers off the bar where people can wait or just kind of sit in a more casual open environment, get, you know, you can either, we've experimented doing kind of cocktail service to it as well as just having it be really, you know, open form. Um, and what we're seeing is people gravitating toward these areas and really enjoying them. Uh, we've seen some of our GMs really get their feet under them and how to activate the, um, the, the MVP room. So for example, in, in, in Arden, North Carolina, you know, we had the Super Bowl booked. We've had both UNC and Duke games booked. We have a number of birthday parties booked. We already have the fantasy draft booked for that room. So, um, so, it provides us um, I think, some different experiences in different moments for the for the consumer and the customer. Um, and the other thing I'd say is 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 it's what we've seen is it is something that that um, people come in and it feels different, but it feels recognizable. It's not such a leap for people, that it's suddenly not, you know, my buffalo wildlings. Um, and so we've gotten general positive feedback. I'm actually just waiting right now. Uh, because we obviously have done a number of consumer intercepts and, and research in the restaurants. And I was with the development team yesterday, and they're actually getting that, uh, that, that research back this week. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, getting the actual verbatims and understanding from, from what consumers are saying. But for me being in the restaurants, talking to consumers, talking to our GMs and our team members, um, you know, like I would say, I would call it green shoots.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Uh, Lyle, thank you very much for, for taking the time out, uh, for me this week. This has been fantastic.
3: No, I enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, you know, next time I'm up in Minnesota, maybe we could, uh, get together and grab a beer and some wings. Yeah. I hear there's some stores up here. Yeah. There are a few.
1: (laughs) Thank you to Buffalo Wild Wings and to Lyle Tick for being on this week's podcast. Earlier this week. Technomic gave us our first glimpse of the 2018 Top 500, and there were relatively few surprises. McDonald's was on top of the list, Chick-fil-A leapfrogged both Burger King and Wendy's to become a top five chain, and the first fast casual concept, Panera Bread, entered the top ten. But a couple of things stood out. For one thing, the sandwich giant Subway is still the third largest restaurant chain in the United States, after a tough year in which it closed more than 1,000 locations and had declines in unit volumes. Subway will likely fall behind both Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A when next year's list comes out, but for now, it is still number three. But the biggest surprise is this. 2018 wasn't actually that bad of a year, at least from a chain's perspective. Total sales for the 500 largest chains rose 3.3% to $318 billion. Most sectors of the restaurant business had accelerated sales last year. That included casual dining, where sales rose 1.3%, even though the sector shrunk by more than 130 locations for the second straight year. There are still plenty of challenges throughout the industry. Numerous mid-sized chains struggled, filed for bankruptcy, protection, and closed locations. And many sectors remained over and in need of correction. That includes the casual dining sector. And the industry is still mainly getting by on price and not by traffic. But the overall picture is maybe not quite as bad as many thought toward the end of last year.
0: Folks, there are tremendous costs associated with over and understaffing in restaurants. Crunchtime's new teamwork scheduling app automatically optimizes team schedules and ensures your managers have the right people in place at the right time for every shift. With Crunchtime, staffing nightmares due to poor sales forecasts are a thing of the past. Since 1995, CrunchTime has saved its customers millions of dollars every year on food and labor costs, usually lowering expenses between 2 and 5% of sales annually. Visit crunchtime.com today to request a free demo and put your restaurant on a path towards optimized team management.
1: And that's it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Peter Romeo, Sarah Rushworth, Heather Lally, and Pat Colby. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, the executive editor at Restaurant Business Magazine, your host and the podcast producer. Thank you for listening.